we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ, the Messiah. And we hold the very thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart. It says we have the mind of Christ. Now, if we can simply accept that when we are born again, Christ is in us the hope of glory. Christ is in us the confidence, expectation that we can come into the glory and to the magnificence and the excellencies of God. And the glory of God is, is as the sum total of all of God's attributes. I, I like to think of it in the context of, you know, if you take light and you pass it through a prism, it will break up into the various colors, red, orange, yellow, indigo, violet, and so on. Well, and similarly, if you could somehow take the very essence of how God is, who God is, and pass it through some kind of spiritual prism, then you will find the Lord full of mercy, full of grace, kindness, um, full of power, faithful, holy, righteous. And I believe this is what was happening in um, Exodus when God, when Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to let my glory pass before you. And when, when God was passing before Moses, he didn't say, here is my glory. He said, the, the, the announcement came, the Lord, full of power, full of mercy, righteous, holy, faithful, etc., etc., in other words, that was, the, that was like the unveiling of the glory of the Lord. So when the Bible says that Jesus has come to bring many sons to glory, what is it saying? It is saying that, that, that God's desire is to bring us into the very attributes of himself so that we too will be kind as he is kind. So that we too will have that same type of, operate in that kind of power, operate in, the, in that compassion, operate in his love, operate in his judgment, operate in his wisdom, operate in his, in his long-suffering, operate in the very essence of his being and so therefore says in Colossians 1 27 that Christ in you is the hope of glory that is the confident expectation that this will this is going to be what it looks like when we come into the fullness you see we have the fullness of God in our spirit the Bible says we are complete in him but we do not have that fullness in our mind and in our will and our emotions but it is the will of God that Christ might be formed in us um, Galatians 4 verse 19 it is the will of God that Jesus will bring many sons to glory Jesus says the glory you have given me I have given them that they might be one even as we are one it says we have obtained that glory we have obtained that excellence well think about it Christ is in you God is in us now is God in us and did he leave his power did he leave his attributes? Did he leave his faithfulness? Did he come in? Did Jesus come in but he didn't bring his love? He didn't bring his peace? He didn't bring his joy? He didn't bring his wisdom? No. He brought it all. Amen? So when you recognize that, 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 that um, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ, we are complete in Christ, Christ is in us, then obviously the very mind of Christ would also be in us. Amen? So hence 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16 says, You have the mind of Christ. Say, I have the mind of Christ. Say it again. One more time. I have the mind of Christ. That means God's very thoughts, you are able to hold them and you have them, it's in your spirit. Now we want to get that into our natural mind. In fact, the very process of our mind being renewed is so that we might have the mind of Christ in our natural mind. Does that make sense? Amen. Now, um, so we have this mind of Christ. But now, let's, let's, and we want this mind of Christ to prevail, to dominate, to rule. 
We want to be established in this mind of Christ. Now think about it this way. Are we the righteousness of God? Are we made righteous? Yes. But because you are righteous in your spirit, you can be righteous in your spirit and not do righteousness. And not have the benefits of righteousness if you don't walk it out. Is the love of God shed abroad in your heart? Now what if you didn't walk in that love? What if you didn't acknowledge that love? What if you didn't act in that love? What if that love is in your spirit? But I mean, but you are almost, you are somewhat alienated from it. You do not manifest it. You do not walk in it. You are not long-suffering. You are not kind or anything like that. How would that affect those round about you? How would that affect you? In other words, you can have the love of God, but you got to walk it out. You can be righteous, which you are, but you got to walk it out. You have faith, but what if you never used it? Would you get the benefits of your faith? No. Tongues. The ability to be able to, to speak the very mind of God, pray about things that you know not what to pray for as you ought, and all the very, very many benefits that goes with speaking in tongues. But what if you have tongues and the ability and the grace of God to speak in tongues, but you never speak in tongues? Would you benefit from it? No. Is healing in your spirit? Does the Bible not say that your spirit is, is, is life on healing and health and wholeness because of righteousness and our union with Christ? But if you don't draw that healing out, what would happen? Sickness would still reign, would it not? Well, similarly, you have the mind of Christ. But we need to draw it out. We need to function in it. If we don't function in it, if we don't draw out the mind of Christ, if we don't have our minds renewed, then even though we have the mind of Christ, we will not benefit from having the mind of Christ. Nor will those around us benefit from it also. Because in the final analysis, your life is not for you, but it is for him and it is for them. Amen? Alright, so then we need to examine this mind of Christ. What is Jesus' mind? What is his attitude? What is his mindset? What does it look like? What are some of the elements of this mind? Because here we have, um, um, we have in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that says we have the mind of Christ, but flip over to Philippians chapter 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Say, I have the mind of Christ. So you do have the mind of Christ. But Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Let this mind of Christ, let it be. Allow it. Permit it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So you have it, but you got to let it be. You have it, but you got to allow it. You got to let that mind prevail. And that's what we want to talk about. Letting this mind be in you. Letting it be in you. Now, um, just to give you another scripture along the line. First Peter chapter 4. Now, we don't quite often associate this verse with the mind of Christ, but it is very much um, an aspect of the mind of Christ, and it gives us some insight. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, First Peter chapter 4 and verse 1, For as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. With what? That mind of Christ. That mind of Christ. And in this particular case it is talking about the fact of that suffering in the flesh. Jesus saying no to his flesh so that the will of God could be done. 
Arm yourself likewise with the same mind, for he that had suffered in the flesh had ceased from sin. So we see that we have the mind of Christ, but we got to let this mind be in you. But it also says here you got to arm yourself with that same mind. You got to arm yourself with it. Now you got to arm yourself with it means you're going to, you must be, it must be that you're going to be coming up against some battles. You're going to come up against some kind of resistance. And without without being armed with the mind of Christ, you're not going to win the battle. Amen? So I got to function in the mind of Christ. Or there are some battles I'm just not going to come too victorious. Alright? So we want to find out what are some of the elements of this mind of Christ. What is involved? What does it look like? Now, um, it is important for us to grasp some of the elements of this mind of Christ for this very reason. The Bible says grace and peace is multiplied to you through the knowledge of Him. So grace, the grace, the enablement, the empowerment, the ability to be able to even function in the mind of Christ will be increased and multiplied as we know more about the mind of Christ. Does that make sense? Right? Consider righteousness. It says, um, it says in Isaiah 54 verse 13 and 14, My children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. And in righteousness shall they be established. How come they're going to be established in righteousness? Because they're going to be taught of the Lord. Amen? Alright? The Bible says, um, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But how, how does that happen? That's John 8.32. John 8.31 says, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. So that continuing in the word, that staying in the word, causes you, you increase in knowledge, you increase in understanding, and as a result, you begin to know the truth. And as you do the truth, the truth will make you free. So it's the same, righteousness, you grow in righteousness by learning about it. Well, similarly, it says therefore in Second, in second Peter chapter 1 verse 2, it says um, grace, that's ability. That's enablement. That's the provision of God. The sufficiency. Grace and peace is multiplied to you through the knowledge of Him and the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, here's a wonderful scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. Turn over there. It's a scripture worthwhile seeing. Well, every scripture is worthwhile seeing. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, this one is worth putting some stars and some asterisks and, some, and to highlight and stuff like that. Say grace. grace. Multiplied. Alright. First Peter chapter 1 verse 13 says, Gird up the loins of your mind, like your muscles in your brain. <laughs> Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Be sober. Think like God. Don't be speculative in, in your imagination and imagining stuff that, doesn't, that, that is off somewhere. But be sober in your mind, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As there is that unveiling and that revealing and that comprehension and that insight and that knowledge and that revelation of Jesus Christ, that Christ that is in you, as that revelation comes forth, as that knowledge of him increases, what happens? Here comes grace. I'm making this point. The point I'm making is, it is important for us to grasp and look and consider some of the various aspects and elements of the mind of Christ so that as we recognize them, we will also have greater grace to walk in them. 
Because if we do not walk in the mind of Christ, we will not have the benefits of having the mind of Christ. Does that make sense? Amen. Alright. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So what then are the, are, are the elements of the mind of Christ? That I'm to walk in. That you and I are to walk in. That we are to appropriate. That so that we can make um, quality decisions. So that we can function and, and, and make decisions that is in accordance with the mind of Christ. That is in accordance to that renewed mind. To the mind of God. What does it take? What are these elements? Now, I'm going to discuss about probably about five or six elements. But, I all, but let me start off by saying this. Turn with me back to Isaiah chapter 11. Let me put a framework here. Glory to God. Let's go to the end in the beginning. <laughs> Amen? Hallelujah. Alright. Isaiah chapter 11, reading from verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Talking about Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. Hmm. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Now the Amplified says regarding verse 3, And shall make him of quick understanding, and his delight shall be in the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. In other words, here is Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. It's the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, the Spirit of understanding. And it is the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. But in all of these various dimensions of the Spirit of God that is on him, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, that's his delight. Amen? This is the one that he treasures the most. This Spirit of the fear of the Lord, honoring the Father. Honoring God, holding Him in high esteem, above everything and everyone else. And then from that, okay, so hold that thought, hold that thought, flip to Isaiah chapter 33. And I'm pointing that out because when we look at the various elements of the fear of the Lord, every one of them, sorry, when we look at the various elements of the mind of Christ, all of the various elements, you will find that the fear of the Lord is a key to each and every one of them. And when you recognize that to be the case, then you will see why Jesus, his delight, would be in the fear of the Lord. Alright? Isaiah 33. Reading from verse 5. The Lord is exalted, and he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. And the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now this is an interesting verse in some other versions. Um, talking about the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God being the stability of our times. And, and the spirit of judgment and the spirit of righteousness. And then, and then it comes down to this um, to this. To this last phrase, this, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. There's a version that says the fear of the Lord is his master key. In other words, here is God. And in God there is wisdom. In God there is righteousness. There is judgment. There is, there is salvation. 
there is there is um there is righteousness there is the glory there is there is holiness and the fear of the lord is the master key now if we were to just take we're not teaching on the fear of the lord today even though I do desire that our hearts would be stimulated by the Holy Ghost so that we would desire, so that we will develop a passion and a, and a hunger for the fear of the Lord. To walk in the fear of the Lord, to be established in the fear of the Lord. Amen? And so as to be able to stimulate that, I'm saying these things as well. Um, even though we're not getting quite into the fear of the Lord as such. But if you were to study it out, you will find wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Understanding. Fear the Lord. Knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Amen. And then we go on and on. We go to righteousness. In righteous, it says in um, uh, Malachi 4 and I believe verse 3. That unto them that fear his name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. So even when we study the various attributes of God, we will see that the fear of the Lord hooks right up with them. Um, consider holiness. We, wouldn't, we, were, we, can const, we can easily receive that God is holy. Can we not? Amen. And, um, and it says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, brethren, let us cleanse ourselves from every filthiness of the flesh and perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. So all these very attributes of God are connected to the fear of the Lord. And if God is in you and God is in me and he's in us with all of his glory, with all of his excellence, with all of his attributes and he wants his very own attributes and nature to be manifested through us and he says, his, he says the key, the master key to all of his attributes is the fear of the Lord and he's in us with all of those attributes. Don't you not think that the key to those, to those attributes that are of God, that are with us, within us, being made manifested and flowing out of us, would it not be the fear of the Lord also? Amen. Does that make sense? Amen. Hallelujah. Having received the kingdom of God, let us, have, let us have fear that we might serve God. Let us have grace that we might serve God with reverence and godly fear. Hebrews chapter 12 and I believe verse 28. Titus 2 verse 10 and 11 and 12. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us what? Teaches us how to live soberly and righteously. In other words, it teaches the fear of the Lord. The grace of God will teach the fear of the Lord. The grace of God will teach the reverential respect and honor and magnification of the Lord. And recognizing that he is so set apart that there is no one good as the Lord. That will see his great goodness. That will see his magnificence. That will see his holiness. That will see his compassion. That will see his love. That will see his mercy that endure it forever. Amen. Because you see, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is not this, you know, God has this, this, this huge hammer or, or fly swatter getting ready to swat you. Part of the fear of the Lord is seeing the great goodness of God. Amen? We'll come to that in some future lessons. But the fear of the Lord is God's master key. It's the very master key. And the fear of the Lord was Jesus' delight. So now as we study the elements of the... Of the mind of Christ, let us bear that in mind. Let us bear in mind the fear of the Lord and, 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 and reflect on it from time to time. Alright? Without turning to it, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 that, um, that Jesus was not heard in the time of, of, of um, and I believe it is referring to when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where it says, In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and, and supplications with strong crying 
and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. He was heard in that he feared. He was heard because of his reverence for the Father. He was heard, he had so magnified God that even, even above his own self is above his own desires. Amen? Hence his prayer was, your will be done, not mine. Amen? Alright. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, so we're talking about functioning in this mind of Christ and the elements of this mind of Christ. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. See the mind of Christ. And while you're flipping to Philippians chapter 2, Colossians 3 verse 1 and 2 says, If you be risen with Christ, you are to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. You are to set your affection on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Set your mind, keep them set. My, keep, set your minds and keep them set on what is above. Into that, that mind of Christ is what we're talking about. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says, The spirit to be spiritually minded is life. It's peace. It's everything reconciled to his original intent and purposes. Say, I've got the mind of Christ. And I'm going to let it be in me. Amen. Alright, so Philippians chapter 2. Now let's walk. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now let's back up to see what came before that. Amen. Because we tend to read, whenever we read Philippians um, chapter 2 for the mind of Christ, uh, when you read it, most of the time it is taught from verse 5 going forward. Humble yourself, obedience unto death. But I believe it starts from verse 1. It may very well have started from Genesis. <laughs> Alright. Philipp Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. If there be therefore... Any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now let me read that over and, and amplify it a bit. Back to verse 1. By whatever persuasive incentive there is in the love of God that has been shared abroad in our heart. Whatever of that love of God that is persuasive... That gives us an incentive. By whatever participation there is in the Holy Ghost. That has shed abroad this love in our heart. In whatever we all have in common. And share in this love that has been shed abroad in our heart. What we have in common. That we share in the participation. That we have been immersed into the Holy Spirit. And Him in us. And we've got the Holy Ghost in us. By whatever depth of affection and compassionate sympathy that comes out of that realization. Fill up and complete my joy. Let that love move you 
into a, into a, a joy of harmony with one another. Harmony with all believers. Let it move you into that place. So that nothing is done by, 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 by factional motives. By, you know, you know, you know the sex. This is, this is this group and that group. The, the little groups and groups within the church. Within the local church. Within the body of Christ. Let nothing be done. Let, let this love that moves us. This love that we share, this participation in the Holy Ghost, Ephesians chapter 4 calls it the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep that unity. Don't do nothing from a factional motive through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or for unworthy ends. But prompted by, the, prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, let us regard others as better than and superior to himself. In other words, let me exalt somebody else. Let me think more highly of another than I even do my own self. Let each of us esteem and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. What is that talking about? That is the love of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, The love of Christ constrains us, and we judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. In other words, the love of Christ constrains me, controls me, dominates me, and it dictates to me, this mindset, it says it's not about me, but it's about you. It's about us. It's about him. It's about them. Turn me to John chapter 13. So part of this, John chapter 13, part of this mind of Christ, this mind that Jesus operated in, functioned in, was this love. Constrained and controlled and, and, and dominated by this love. Which we are to have. Which we are to. We have but we must let it. Amen. We have it but we must let it. John chapter 13. I want us to see this, this little story here. Just to capture it. John chapter 13 reading from verse 3. Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hand. And that he was. Come from God and went to God. That is just a beautiful phrase. We're going to see in the mind of Christ that he taught it not robbery to be equal with God. We operate in this love. We operate in this meekness. We operate in this humility. We serve one another. We highly esteem one another. But we are doing it from a place where we know who we are. We know whose we are. We know we are seated in heavenly places. We know we are at the Father's right hand. We know that now are we the sons of God. We know that we are a joint heir with Christ. We know that we are an heir of all things. We know that He has freely given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Jesus knowing, knowing that, that, that he, where He had come from, that He came from the Father, He's going to be going back to the Father. All things were in His hands. He rising up from supper, and this was an occasion of the Lord's Supper, and he laid aside his garments and he, and he took a towel and he girded himself. Now I don't know what, what garments he laid aside. But let's just say it was that nice royal robe that he had. That kingly robe. Well he laid that aside. The Bible says, he, the Bible says in, 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 in Philippians chapter 2. That he taught him not to robbery to be equal with God. And he made himself of no reputation. 
And he took upon himself the form of a servant. In other words then, he took off his king, all his God attributes. He laid it aside and became like a servant. And so here he is. Puts, puts on an apron. apron, And he began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with a the towel wherewith he was girded. Then, then coming to Peter and so on and so forth. Anyway, and so he washed their feet. And then he's going to go on to say, he that is washed, he, he goes on to say, and please come back and read the whole story. But for the sake of time, verse 12, he says, Know ye not what I have done to you? You call me master. You call me Lord. And, and, and you say, well, because I am Lord and I am master, verse 13. But if I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. That is such an absolute demonstration of the love of God. 